A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. No, I do not. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. <laughs> There's probably a, a balance between, I believe you have to know Christ, but I think no, He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. My mission really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are God by faith in His Son. Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 3.17, that's all. Victory in the name which is above every name. No exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme. Right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name, get out here right now. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Master's Dog, episode 102. I'm your host, Norm, the Master's Dog Dunham, aka the Evangelical Norm. So, the Master's Dog podcast is dealing with false teachers, false teachings, false doctrine. It started off as Faith and Beliefs Refuted. Uh, dealing with the Saints Unscripted podcast, formerly known as the Three Mormons. Their podcast, they started a segment called Faith and Beliefs, where they were going through the uh, LDS Articles of Faith. And I wanted to respond to those and show how they were not didn't line up with uh, Orthodox Christianity. So it was only going to be a short uh, segmented podcast dealing with that. But then they decided to continue on with... Uh, these teachings every week with something and talking about their doctrine and so on. So I committed to uh, responding to every single one of those episodes. So um, here we are still. And later on down the road, I decided to deal with other false teachers, um, change the name to the master's dog based on the Calvin quote at the beginning of the introduction video. And here we are. That's where that's the background on the podcast for those of you who are newer subscribers over the last month or so. 
which I very much appreciate all the new subscribers that are here. Um, if you haven't subscribed already, please hit the subscribe button. Uh, share the video, hit the like button because that makes Mr. Algorithm uh, share us with more and more people and we can continue to grow as a podcast here. So I'd appreciate that. This week we are back to what we do best and that is uh, responding to the Mormons over at Saints Unscripted. Uh, this week is another one. We, so as they've done this podcast, I, I don't know how many episodes they've done. Well, obviously well over 100 um, because we started out as faith and beliefs refuted. It was, I can't remember what, how far we got in episodes 36, 37, and then started over as a master's dog episode one. And here we are at episode 102. So doing the math, well over a hundred of these videos they've done. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Live podcasting. And, um, they go up and down. Sometimes they deal with stuff that seems like it's very important and, and has some meat to it. Other times he just kind of hits this stuff that I'm like, that really doesn't even make a difference in, in the way that we evangelize or do apologetics or anything like that. But I have made a commitment to respond to all of these videos so I will continue to respond to them as long as they continue to make them so today we are going to get into we've we've talked about I think it feels like we've done multiple multiple videos on this topic and how the Book of Mormon came to be but now he's going to talk about and, and he's hit all of these different theories um, but now today he's going to talk about how they've changed over time and as if that is going to disprove some of these theories because they've changed over time. But the reality is, well, let's let him get into it and then we'll talk about it. Because there is some, some stuff that we can pull out of this. Uh, God is faithful like that. And so we always get something good coming out of all of these things. His word doesn't return void, right? So here we go. This is David Snell from Saints Unscripted. Uh, how have the Book of Mormon origin theories changed over time? Hey guys, so the Latter-day Saint prophet Joseph Smith claimed that the Book of Mormon was translated through the gift and power of God. I don't believe it! Not everyone believed him. Shocking, I know. And for almost 200 years now, people have been trying to figure out, if not from God, where this pesky book came from. In this episode, we're going to look at some of those popular theories and how they've changed with the passage of time. Okay, let's, let's examine this stuff. All right, so for the first few years after the Book of Mormon was published, the prevailing naturalistic theory was that the book was obviously a product of Joseph's own intellect, but not in a flattering way. Even in Joseph's tiny hometown, people thought the book was crap, and Joseph was a spindle-shanked ignoramus, so it made sense that one came from the other. Just weeks after the book was published in 1830, the local newspaper satirized it in a series of articles called The Book of Pukai. In 1831, the same paper published a letter to the editor which called the book the most clumsy of all impositions. In response to the letter, the paper published that Joseph's mental powers appear to be extremely limited, and from the small opportunity he has had at school, he made little or no proficiency. We've never been able to learn that any of the family were ever noted for much else than ignorance and stupidity. That's harsh. 
1831 publication, the famous minister Alexander Campbell said that there never was a book more evidently written by one set of fingers, nor more certainly conceived in one cranium since the first book appeared in human language than this same book. And as Joseph Smith is a very ignorant man and is called the author on the title page, I cannot doubt for a single moment that he is the sole author and proprietor of it. All right, so let's take a look at a couple of these things real quick. Um, going back to the whole issue of Joseph being a spindle-headed ignoramus and, and so on, and one of the statements that is made is uh, the the that Campbell made was it's it's obvious that it was prepared it was the book was written by one set of fingers. When we look at the Bible, the Bible is written by over 40 different authors throughout the Bible, over 3,500 years, uh, spanning three continents, uh, and so on. So the, and you can see the difference in the writing as you read the, the Bible, you can see the, the, the different personalities that come out of the authors and so on. You can read the way, you know, the things that were said and so on. The Book of Mormon supposedly is written by different people. These plates were passed down, which I don't know if Joseph thought that was the way the Bible worked, that they, that was passed from one person to the other and they just added on to it, which is likely because there are a lot of people who do believe that. So that's how he imagined that the Book of Mormon happened. But as you look from book to book to book, there's no change in personality. There's no change in, in the authorship. And this was because Joseph Smith, you saw the picture at the beginning, you know, he, they show him with a hat and he's looking down. This was not the way that it was done, the, the, the way it was described, but it, they can't portray that. You can, they'll put it in little pictures and stuff like that. But they show him doing this instead of putting the, the hat literally on his face blocking out all of the light with the rock in there because you look dumb doing this, right? But this is how Joseph did it, face in hat, not holding hat, looking down. That, that Nowhere do you see any kind of descriptor that Joseph Smith looked at it like this. Face in hat, hat sealed around face, no light allowed to get in, and then the word supposedly showed up. But he's speaking these words, the reason why so many people thought him to be ignorant was because he's talking like he talked, likely to, to have not really good grammar, not, I mean, the words reckon and, and stuff like that as used, dare I say, hillbilly-ish, are used throughout. And that's why there's so many changes that had to be made because the grammar was horrible and so on. And then there are a lot of doctrinal changes that are done in there. But of the 3,000 plus changes, almost 4,000 changes to the Book of Mormon, maybe 4,000 now. I think, I think Gerald and Sandra Tanner's book was 3,913 changes. And this was put out in the 80s, I believe. Far more likely that it's 4,000 plus changes now because they've continued to change it. I would say probably half of it is grammatical. Maybe a little more than half, but there is a significant amount that is doctrinal 
to make you understand the changing, evolving theology of Joseph Smith. So these are reasons why they made these some of these statements uh, as he did it. And then uh, now you'll see they'll, they'll change again. So it is without exaggeration the meanest book in the English language. Oh, now. It has not one good sentence in it. Ouch. It is as certainly Smith's fabrication as Satan is the father of lies. <laughs> That's it. He's going down. Even as far as 1841, one source claims that Joseph Smith bore the reputation of a lazy and ignorant young man. The Book of Mormon is perhaps one of the weakest productions ever attempted to be palmed off as a divine revelation. It is mostly a blind mass of words interwoven with scriptural language and quotations without much of a leading plan or design. It is, in fact, such a production as might be expected from a person of Smith's abilities and turn of mind. But okay, so now... Here, here's the thing. Lazy and ignorant does not mean unintelligent and unimaginative. Those say, I mean, ignorant of things like grammar and geography and all kinds of other things of, of manner of translation and, and so on, of Hebrew and you know, the whole issue that it was written in Reformed Egyptian is just ridiculous that, that any Hebrew having come out of Egypt would revert to writing something in a reformed Egyptian. They would have written in Hebrew, right? That's who they were. That's what the rest of the Bible is written in. But Joseph didn't know that. So his imagination carried him to a place of reformed Egyptian. And I'm, I'm assuming he probably was very interested in, uh, you know, Egyptology and so on, given the fact that he bought a mummy later in life and then went on to translate uh, the book of Abraham, also supposedly written in Reformed Egyptian. So there's all that. Despite the fact that Joseph wasn't perceived as the brightest bulb in the box, as people took a closer look at the Book of Mormon, they started to realize that it wasn't as simplistic as they thought. Thus, since Joseph clearly didn't have the brains for the job, a new theory was popularized by the 1834 expose, Mormonism Unveiled. The book asserted that the religious stuff in the Book of Mormon was actually written by Sidney Rigdon, and the historical stuff came from a lost, unpublished story by Solomon Spaulding. Ironically, Alexander Campbell, the guy who was so sure that Joseph was the sole author of the Book of Mormon, later changed his tune, conforming to the Spalding-Rigdon theory. The only problem was that Joseph and Sidney had never met before the publication of the Book of Mormon, and Solomon Spalding's unpublished manuscript was discovered in 1884, and it didn't look anything like the Book of Mormon. That does put a damper on our relationship. So this theory eventually loses popularity while a smattering of others emerge. Some of the more fascinating ones have to do with mental illness. In 1902, Isaac Riley asserted that Joseph had epilepsy, which gave him visionary seizures. In 1930, Bernard DeVoto claimed Joseph suffered from paranoia-induced hallucinations. In 1931, Harry Beardsley said the Book of Mormon was the product of dementia praecox. People have also proposed automatic writing, even supernatural channeling, as the answer. Auto writing, I should have seen this. But the prevailing theory today really brings us full circle. As in Joseph's day, the popular theory once again is that the Book of Mormon is the product of Joseph's intellect. Again? 
freaking again! Except this time, instead of asserting that both Joseph and the book are stupid, now the Book of Mormon is recognized as complex and intricate. Brilliant! So now skeptics claim that Joseph must have actually been a lot smarter and well-read than what the people who actually knew him said whether friend, foe, or family. He must have secretly pieced together the Book of Mormon using any number of dense source texts, or perhaps he was simply a literary genius, a prodigy, and made things up as he went. Fawn Brody wrote, Never having written a line of fiction, he laid out for himself a task that would have given the most experienced novelist pause. Dan Vogel wrote that the book was more or less a stream-of-consciousness composition, recited mostly impromptu and without the aid of notes. Critics seem to struggle to agree on how exactly Joseph did it because there doesn't seem to be adequate evidence to support any one theory. Baby steps. Baby steps. We need more evidence. More evidence. And that's certainly the challenge today. Does history show that Joseph had the skills one would have to have in order to produce something like the Book of Mormon under the given circumstances? In the next episode, we're going to look at what documented history has to tell us about Joseph's education. But at the end of the day, it seems to me that both sides of the aisle are running on faith. Latter-day Saints have faith that Joseph was telling the truth and that the book was translated by the gift and power of God. Others have faith that despite a lack of evidence, Joseph had the compositional skills or accomplices or mental illness or sleight of hand or access to demons or whatever to produce the Book of Mormon. So feel free to study it out on your own. Pray about it and go with what makes the most sense to you. Check out the resources in the YouTube description for more info on this, especially Brian Hale's work, which was extremely helpful for this episode. He's even mapped these theories out, showing when different ideas were popular. It's really cool, so check that out, and have a great day. I'll okay, so here's the thing. Reality says that any of those postulated theories of how Joseph Smith did it could be true. It's the burden of proof is not on us. I mean, we can present these things. The reality is the burden of proof is on the Mormon church to prove that it was translated the way he was. If there's so much question and so on, why doesn't God just produce the golden plates again? Here, show the world. Oh, no, because God doesn't do that because he wants us to take it on faith. We have to pray about it. We have to let our feelings testify to us that it is true. There's no ability for a Mormon to actually empirically prove that the Book of Mormon was written by Nephi, Lehi, and down the line, Ammon, whoever, Jerem, Isham, Jacob, Omni, I can't remember. I could sing the song for you if I tried, I would remember it. First and second book of Nephi, Jacob, Enos, Jer Jacob, something, Jerem, Omni, Words of Mormon, Amaziah, and the Book of Mormon, blah, blah, blah. So, right, I had the song memorized at once upon a time. I could do it if I really, really tried. I'm not going to. But there's no way to prove because the manuscripts are gone. Biblical proofs can come. We have thousands upon thousands upon thousands of manuscripts. We take them, we compare them, and then we can go, what we have correlates very well to probably 99.9% .9 of what the autographs actually said. There's no autograph of the Book of Mormon. They were written on gold plates that were passed from one person to another. So there's not a major, uh, uh, multiple documents that can be compared. And then the angel took them to heaven. So here's the deal. Any of those other postulated theories can be true. Some are not really plausible, but many of them are. He could have had mental illness. 
he could have. Uh, I don't describe to. Let me say there. There are some that I would not describe to. Demonic. I absolutely believe it could be demonic. The way that it is. I mean, his involvement with the occult makes it very plausible that demonic activity and satanic deception was used in this. Plagiarism. And again, I come back to the fact that he may not have been well-spoken. He may not have been a novelist. But there's a difference between being a novelist and being a storyteller. And we have absolute proof from friends, foes, and families... His mom, his wife, all kinds of people who said Joseph was a phenomenal storyteller. Just randomly on the spot could come up with stories. He wouldn't have been able to write them down because he may not have been that intelligent to what his wife said that he couldn't form an entire sentence, but he could speak it. But then also his grammar and the way his, his his manner of speech may not have been all that good. I think I just did it um, to the point that when he spoke it, then they had to go back and change it and fix grammar and words and so on the way that it was said. I mean, how many times do you really think the 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 men who supposedly wrote the Book of Mormon wrote and it came to pass? Because it's all over. Because that's what Joseph Smith thought needed to be there. And then, of course, there's memorized portions of Isaiah and other uh, Old and New Testament scriptures that have been plagiarized and put in. And I would not say that that, that even a, a not well-spoken man and uh, functionally illiterate man was not be able to memorize parts of scripture even large parts of scripture given any kind of of help and resources if someone was reading it to him he could have memorized it very plausible so any of those theories can be plausible i don't buy into as much as the mental illness and so on epilepsy possible could explain the the first vision but then again doesn't change the changing nature of the first vision Right. And that that was one thing I wanted to get to, because the fact that I say that, okay, these theories changed over time doesn't mean any of them are not true. I know some Mormon is going to come back and go, but you said that the changing first vision uh, means that it's not true. There's, again, a difference between one person making a statement of this is what happened giving an account, an eyewitness account, would, if, you say, if you would, compared to somebody making an assumption about how something was done and those things changing. Because with an assumption, as you get more evidence and so on, you make changes to the hypothesis. When you are describing an eyewitness account and then there are nine different versions, vastly different versions... That indicates a lie as opposed to changing hypotheses indicating more and more research. As the Book of Mormon was changed, as the grammar was fixed and the wording was fixed, then it became more of a complex book based on the complexity of the story that was told. Now, having had an editor to make it 
more pleasing. But still, even after all that, and many of the changes, uh, Mark Twain still said it was chloroform in print. I mean, it, I've, I've read the Book of Mormon completely through at least three times, maybe four. Made attempts many, many times over the many years that I was LDS. But there were times that I would literally, I would literally be reading it and fall asleep. Because that was, as Mark Twain said, chloroform in print. So the burden of proof falls on the, the Mormon people, the LDS church. They have the burden of proof of proving that it is true and not by a burning in the bosom. Whereas all other skeptics of it can postulate all kinds of hypotheses. I mean, we may not ever be able to prove any of those hypotheses right or wrong, but again, it's not our burden of proof to do so. We have the burden to cast doubt upon the, what, what is claimed. It is on the Mormon church to produce the proof. The burden of proof is on them. And that is it for this week. I uh, hope this was helpful. Um, like I said, a lot of times I look at these and go, this isn't going to be anything. And then God brings something out of it. His word doesn't return void, as we've said before. And uh, I think he, he wants us to take these things and look at them and understand the truth. And as always, he wants us to preach the gospel at all times and use words because they're necessary. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm-hmm.